introduce a little anarchy. Upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos? It's beer. This is bullshit. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to do it, did you? I heard your little breath before yeah. I said something. <laughs> I, you know, I, wa- I wanted to try. You know, we're, we're, we're dealing with fun challenges in this new uh, pandemic world. That so. is true. That is true. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Necessary Bullshit Podcast, everyone. Um, this is an ongoing conversation between a philosopher and a thespian. Um, yes, and we are here to promote such things as critical thinking, oh, intellectual skepticism. See, when I space it out, I could say it correctly. <laughs> and very, very deep <laughs> right. deep conversation. And of course, most importantly, before I don't forget, self-education. See how yeah, good big, I did there? Big, 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 important part Well, of this. no, I think that... Yeah, no, you're doing so well. Not well. only that, though, but I think that this is one of those self-education episodes, because I'll be honest, you know, when Ian reached out to me and he said, hey, you know, you, you had the idea to cover tyranny... And I want to kind of cover the, you know, the opposite, you know, kind of social view of, of governing. And I want to cover anarchy. And as before, you know, I, I've, I will admit that I was naive on and, you know, what anarchism even was. And I was also on, on the school of thought, which we'll get to, that it's just rioting and chaos. But I will say that, like, you know, <laughs> the more that I dived into the topic, the more that I understand now, it's more of a philosophical, you know, way of, of, of understanding the world. And I think it's 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 something that is, you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna it's more interesting i guess than what i thought and there's there's much more that that meets the surface of this all is what i'm trying to get at for sure yeah and uh, i mean i i sort of expected uh that you would that you would find that sort of interest in it however i do think that this is going to be an interesting conversation because i know there's probably things in which we're going to disagree upon which is always exciting well yeah well i mean to be fair Um, that what i'm most excited about is is that there's some contradictions with something with some things i've read about anarchism and your own beliefs so i kind of want to flesh those out and then also too yeah it's just like when we get there i mean there's just so much about like an anarchistic kind of philosophy style of thinking that really just justifies the way that I also view the world. So I think it's bizarre that like you had said off mic is that, you know, I would find this topic interesting because the way that I view the world is similar. It's like I scratched the surface, but the conclusion or the end result of what should be happening is something that I differ on. Um, So that's just good. Yeah, yeah, sure. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually, I mean, is it, yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, like, I think it's fair to, you know, if if our listeners are familiar enough, you know, we've been having this sort of ongoing on and off uh, series about political and philosophical isms. And I think we might be able to uh, pull this under uh, that sort of branch of, of topics just because it's it's such, first of all, it is very broad. And we're going to be going into a few of the, um, I guess, branches of anarchism, uh, you know, uh, more specifically. And, uh, and I do think it'll be interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, where where do you think we should start here? You know, you uh, yeah, I'll take I'll take this out. So I I found this article on on howstuffworks.com and it's about uh, basically just what is anarchism, how it works, what are the origins of it. 
It was uh, written by Patrick Kinger or Kigger. Sure. Like dig Kigger, Kigger, dig Kigger. <laughs> yeah. Patrick Kigger. That sounds right. So Patrick Kigger, he's a he's a, he's been a writer for such publications as Baltimore Magazine, Orange County Register, and the Pittsburgh Press. He's been published on GQ, LA Times. He's even been on the Na- National Geographic Channel, Discovery News. Um, he's done a few stuff as well. So he's a published journalist, and he basically uh, he also writes a lot about like murder mystery, which I thought was fascinating. But um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, everybody's writing about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he reads like fiction murder mystery, but he also writes about real murder mystery. So I thought that was interesting. But so he kind of breaks down the origins of anarchism and, and what exactly we're dealing with here. So um, obviously he acknowledges that there are uh, the, the idea of anarchism. There's some roots in the ancient Greeks and even ancient Chinese philosophy as well. Um, this concept of no of of no government has been something that's been actually kind of pushed around for quite some time. And back then, especially, we'll get to this, but ancient in, in ancient Greece is a little bit different. They were all more on about politics, but in ancient China, it was more of the concept of living with nature. You know what I mean? They had that idea of that, that sure. duality of that. So that also kind of like can link being back in. But the father of anarchism, as Mon, this happened around the mid 1800s, and it was a um, and it began to take shape in the distant political philosophy thanks to the visionary Frenchman Pierre Joseph. And now I, I put this in phonetically, but the French pronunciation of his last name is Poudel. Poudel. Sure. I think. Yeah, I'm. Fr- I'm fr- yeah, I'm familiar with him. Yeah. yeah. So I'm. Just I read gonna, about him a little bit. Yeah. I'm gonna as call. Well. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna call him um, Pierre Joseph. I'm just gonna. That's what I'm gonna refer him as. It's just easier for me to say as we follow through. So. Um, Pierre Joseph, yeah. he, he, he labored as a cohort and later as an, a, he was a, okay. So he was an apprentice printer, um, where he would set up typing and he, and he taught himself Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. And eventually in 1838, he won an academic scholarship to study in Paris, which gave him time to think about society and what it would take to fix things that he thought were wrong with it. In 1840, um, he published a book, uh, entitled now it's the French name, but in, but in English translation, it stands, what is property? where Pierre Joseph mm-hmm. became the first person to label himself an anarchist. Um, it's where the property is theft, theft catchphrase came from. And to be clear, he wasn't opposed to private land ownership. He just, uh, so long as the person owning the land didn't profit off the people's labor. That's like really yeah. important because I think that's something too, that I was also, I will admit that I was kind of ignorant on or a misconception about this idea of, property being theft in this this more of this communist style view however i learned that you know anarcho communism as we learn is is a form of anarchy of no government that involves that kind of communistic of no private property as well but that's not all forms of anarchy as i've learned um so the, yeah for sure the yeah. word anarchism comes from the greek uh the greek word anarchia um meaning without rules or without authority i figured you always usually get me on my on my greek words yeah, I mean, you know, like, um, you know, sort of like you have a right, a or an, which just means without, mm-hmm. and um, uh, arche, you know, archi or archaea, that sort of means order, right? So you could say like without order, um, you know, there's this common phrase when it comes to uh, uh, anarchism that well, you can make archi like no the gods, no like that's or, where higher, that's where hierarchy came from. Like a sense yeah, of like order arc, or structure. Like yeah, like arc, yeah, is, is order. Like, you know, like, think about, like, the archangels, right, are higher order angels within biblical traditions, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. 
Yeah. You know, it's everywhere. Um, so, so Pierre Joseph was was, am- uh, was also among the key contributors in forming the concept of spontaneous order, in which that the government is replaced by organizations emerging in society without any leadership or central coordinating effort. Um, so th- this concept alone is fascinating, and I think we're going to get in this when we. I kind of want to go over the history more, but that's kind of one of the things I want to tackle with you when it comes to anarchism. Is the like I yeah. feel like because for me, again, being on the left progressive side, oftentimes from either conservatives or even libertarians at that, they they use the pit. Well, you you are too ideological. It's a dream. Like that's not reality. You know, and I feel like the same argument can be almost be used here. You know, I feel like anarchists might get the same shade where it's like, you know, that's that's great. And, you know, in this more of they have their own version of, quote unquote, utopia. And it's not a utilitarian utopia, of course, but it's more of a freedom utopia all in itself that that could. Yeah, for sure. Realistically never be get to. So that's going to be interesting when we kind of get down to that topic. But but continue on here in the mid 1800s, Pierre Joseph got to know Karl Marx. Um, which I thought was interesting that he actually got to meet the man and, and know a little bit of it. And of course they kind of saw eye to eye and some things, but he also got to, um, Michal, um, back in I'm just going to call him Michal. Michal. Yeah. Mikhail. I mean, uh, Beck, Mikhail. Yeah. Mikhail, uh, Bakunin, I think is, yeah, ra- Mikhail he's, Bakunin. Uh, he's Russian. Yeah. He's a Russian, Russian, yeah. Uh, Russian revolutionary anarchist, yeah. anarchist, um, who rebelled against the, what's funny is that, so Pierre Joseph came from a, a, a peasant family. He came from kind of a lower class family and kind of built himself up. But the thing about uh, Mikhail that was interesting is that he actually his his anarchist roots he came from a privileged background and uh, basically decided to rebel against his privileged background and he formed what was called this collectivist anarchism essentially which means abolishing both the state and private ownership of the means of production as it envisions in its place the means of production being owned collectively whilst controlled and self managed by producers and workers themselves. But the thing about Mikhail that he separated from Pierre Joseph and even Karl Marx is that Pierre Joseph and Karl Marx, they, they both felt like there was a peaceful way um, to get to their to their way of governing. While Mikhail was more of a revolutionary, violent activist, he believed he believed that in order to overthrow that you needed you need violent, a uh, violent uh, revolution, which you'll see as a common uh, battle between uh, different versions of anarchy and within themselves. Um, but Pierre Joseph, he believed the uh, government could be phased gradually um, is how he thought that it would happen, where that it would have to do with kind of activism and bringing people into the light alone would phase it out gradually. And not every um, kind of anarchist believes that way. So that's kind of he's kind of like the godfather in anarchism. It kind of really held root in the mid 1800s. So I have some more kind of history stuff but yeah. it also kind of involved in how anarchism works i don't know if you kind of want to jump in here a little bit yeah uh, yeah before yeah before you got into that i also wanted to give some ether background here so just mm. just for some clarification here so i guess speaking more broadly you know anarchism it's this sort of it's a philosoph it's a political philosoph uh, philosophical movement right and it and typically you know as josh was talking about a moment ago with with the violence and and revolution you know it sort of goes hand in hand with rejecting involuntary and coercive forms of hierarchy that's that's mm. a really big part of it and yes. so what often happens is that it radically calls for the abolition of the state or government in which it holds to be undesirable undesirable excuse me nece- or unnecessary and harmful 
And so, as Josh just mentioned, you know, the timeline of anarchism stretches back way into prehistory, right? When people were living in anarchistic societies long before establishment of formal states or kingdoms or empires or any of those sort of things. You know, when the rise of organized hierarchical bodies, excuse me, hierarchical bodies, you know, skepticism towards authority also seemed to rise. But it was not until the 19th century, as Josh was alluding to, that a self-conscious political movement was formed. And so it was really at the later half of the 19th mm-hmm. century and maybe like the, the first decades of the 20th century. So like the 1900s that the anarchist movement began to flourish. And, and most parts of the world actually had a significant role in worker struggles for emancipation. So this obviously has ties to Marx, right. As sort of, you know, um, taking the ownership of the means of production back into the workers. Sure. And, and then and obviously too, the, the same thing with connects with Marx is, is in the sense of like Marx also disagreed with, with, with separating people into class structures. You know, and yeah, that, right, that's, exactly. Yeah, that's something too, which which creates conflict, and that all kind of works really well within anarcho kind of style thinking. Yeah, and then something you know, something we will get into is you know there are various branches, right? And they, there is that, which I have like spouse like times. with the history. I have like a breakdown through history of of when it propped up, and then I also have examples of of several different types throughout as well. So. We'll get there. Right, yeah. And then, and then just also for some extra uh, historical context here. So, you know, there were anarchists that actually took part in several big uh, revolutions. So most notably, there was the Spanish Civil War, uh, where they were crushed by the fascists uh, in 1939. Marking the end of the, what we'd call as... A, okay, good. Yeah, so we're on well, the same page the, here. But what's so, funny is mine, mine, that mine just said, yep, anarchism was on a rise in Spain, and then the Spanish Civil War hit, and they were on the wrong side. That's all yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. And, you know, and, and during that time, right, we could sort of I we'll get into this, but we could sort of see that as the end of the classical era of anarchism and then sort of the later decades of the 20th century. And now actually into the 21st century where we see the anarchist movement sort of having a resurgence. So I guess when it comes to the tactics of anarchism and also Joshua will get into this in, in his notes as well. So it's. A lot of time it's ordered to meet its ideal ends, right? And though these can be broadly separated into revolutionary and evolutionary tactics, there's a significant overlap between the two legs, which are merely descriptive. So there are revolutionary tactics which aim to bring down authority in the state and have taken a violent turn in the past. So what Josh was also speaking about. But there's also evolutionary tactics which aim to prefigure what an anarchist society would be like. So there's anarchist thought which is sort of a criticism and has a praxis which is a it's basically Greek for practical knowledge or or a kind of pragmatism and that's played a big part in the sort of diverse fields of, of society. And then I guess one thing I'll say before I let you jump back in here. So one of the largest criticisms of anarchism is that mainly focuses on claims of it being internally inconsistent, violent, and utopian. So this is, you know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I think it's really important to point out, and it's something that we'll come back to, especially when we talk about uh, Emma Goldman a little bit, and then later on, well, I think we're going to inevitably bring up Nietzsche, which I have some things to say about his thoughts on anarchy. So I, I want to talk about what you have here about how anarchism really works here. Yeah. Cause yeah, I know you have some interesting things here. Yeah, I do. So, um, so he first starts out by, he wants to, he wants to clarify the stigma of anarchism before he kind of goes in and, and defines it. So he clarifies that anarchism is much more than just the rioting and chaos as it's often depicted. He said, although mm-hmm. a few different forms of, of anarchism exist, the main through line 
is is that government authority and any sort of hierarchy is ultimately bad for the people and should be eliminated. That is a through line that you see through all versions of anarchism. And it's yeah. not and, – and he kind of like breaks down further of what he means by being more than just writing in chaos. He said, building a society truly free and equal where the only associations are ones that people enter voluntarily and instead of electing representatives to lead them, people would rule themselves through direct democracy. And I thought this was interesting to kind of break down because direct democracy is, is, is essentially what they're meaning in this context is, is the people handling the problems as they come. You know, there's no there's mm -hmm. no elected leader. There's no because most people get confused because we say that America is a democracy, but we're a democratic republic. You know, yeah. is a, a better way yeah. to put that there. There's they're basically saying that we're going to get rid of that republic aspect of it. There's not going to be anybody voted to rule for us. So we're not going to vote for that. The people will directly deal with the problems themselves by vote. Um, so Robert uh, Hoffman explained in his book, Anarchism as Political uh, Philosophy in 1975. And I quote, a society ruled by government cannot be orderly. That government creates and perpetuates both disorder and violence. Not all anarchists believe in violent resolution, but some believe peaceful change is possible through anarchism and nonviolent protests. So I think it really does break down that this is where I kind of started to notice a change of what I was thinking because of course you know you mm -hmm. hear games like I don't know if you know this but this kind of like nerd for those of you who don't know there's a game series called Crackdown and oh, uh, sure. they made they made three <laughs> God, of them I haven't the thought third, about that in a long time I know yeah. the third one ended up being shitty but long story short Crackdown was kind of it was this anarchy anarchic revolution is that the game is based on in the world and and so my first time playing it it was like chaos like it was just yeah. a world full of rioting and, and, and of course it makes for good gameplay to move around and do also that. However, jumping over buildings. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you know, you always see, you know, the, 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 the rioters and, and that's just kind of what you think. And you know, the, he does, he does cite some historical data that, that claims to the possibilities of why most people interpret it that way, which I'm interested to get into. But of course, yeah. as he says here, that there are some people that take nonviolence uh, approaches and believe that peaceful change is possible. And, you know, some have uh, some some communities have even practiced anarcho principles on their own in the local level and places like Greece today. Um, yeah. And there are some anarcho communities in Greece to this day that have stepped in to provide you know poor people with services when the government haven't been able to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, you know, that's example of, of those that are kind of more peaceful and that, you know, as we'll describe further, there's oh right here. So the, the Canadian ar uh, anarchist George Woodcock explained in 1962 that anarchism isn't just about rejecting the power of government alone, but also having the ultimate aim for social change. And I think that that's a good addition to the to anarchism that I probably wasn't giving it this this concept of of sure. social change for the betterment of of or what they believe is the is the betterment of how humans should conduct their lives. Sometimes there's a strong uh, through line of humanism. I I feel like in, in some forms hmm. of anarchism, not all. And we'll, we'll right. definitely get to those. <laughs> so yeah. So due to this, however, there have been an array of ideas to how to lead society without government. Some pulling from other ideologies like feminism, environmentalism, or even Christianity, which I thought about that. Could you imagine an, an anarcho-Christianic state? Uh, like, and I guess not state, but an anarcho-Christianic society that would just yeah, be such the strangest. I mean, that, 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 sounds, that's, that sounds dystopian. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. No, it but, makes I you think mean, of the Book of Eli be... with... Uh, it just makes me think oh, of the book sure, of Eli yeah. with Denzel Washington. God, that, that like... boy, that boy, that was that movie disappointing at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's but, another that's uh, another episode. 
So uh, there are, the, you know, there are even some anarchists sharing the uh, mutualism school of thought, which they believe that they want workers to control the land and factories, of course, but right. they're also okay with open market, you know, competition amongst them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then you have kind of a blend, which again, if there was any one of those that I'd probably fit into is that, cause we'll get to why I think this is wrong or, or my differences, you know, but as you can see, then there's also, Wait a minute, you're, you're, another... you're not going to, you're going to, you're not going to admit to being a mutualist anarchist. After, on <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's also, you know, there's anarcho communists, like I mentioned before, which they believe uh, to do away with private property altogether and set up a system of communal ownership without competition, you yeah. know, but but there are so many different types. There is a German social theorist, um, Andreas Whittle. Uh, he said that anarchism can be distinguished into two main basic types. The first one is social anarchism, which emphasizes the society having people work together in harmony for the common good, which I think, as you described, is that humanistic through line in some of them. Right. Um, but yeah. then, then the second category is, is, is the libertarian anarchism, which mostly focuses upon the individual, making sure each person has the maximum amount of freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if you wanted to delve into some more history first or go into some of the um, uh, some of the other schools of thoughts within anarchism. Let me just let me, how about this? You you load up schools of thought. I'm going to give some listeners some history breakdown. And then okay, we'll, great. We'll, yeah, we'll, done. we'll have you do that. Yeah. So the, yeah, you know, the, the, the point of this episode is to be chaotic, right? Because we're talking about yeah, anarchy, exactly, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, the concept of no government can be seen in the works of ancient Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu, who um, is that, did I pronounce that right? Uh, I would no, <laughs> I would probably say Lao Tzu. Uh, I think Lao that's Tzu? probably okay, that makes yeah, sense. Probably the that more common. Sense, yeah. Uh, no, I think I, you know Tzu is not even right. That's that's from uh, that's from uh, what is that from? What did I get that from? I don't is that know. What did after you our last from? Airbender? I think that's after our last Airbender. I don't. I don't know. I, I haven't seen that show in a long time. A long time. All right. Well, anyway, he taught <laughs> that people should live in balance with nature in order to achieve happiness, um, which is kind of like you can say that it's, it's got roots in, in the anarcho thinking we think of today. While classic Greek philosophers like Zeno argued people would do better without government interference in their lives, and that if they were reasonable and moral enough, courts and and police would be unnecessary. You know, so you have, yeah, so you have different roots, even going back from the ancient Chinese and the ancient Greeks. And although the idea of rioting and chaos isn't completely unfounded, right? So this is where he goes into why he maybe thinks that you, these things that might have led to why we think it's rioting and chaos. Because in 1886, yeah. during an anarchist meeting in Chicago, someone threw a bomb when the police tried to break up the thing, which triggered a riot where <laughs> six officers and a numerous other people were killed. In 1892, in Pennsylvania, an anarchist by the name of Alexander Berkman shot industri industrialist Henry Clay Frank, but failed to kill him. And in 1901, the anarchist Leon... Oh, oh I don't know his last name. I, we'll just call him I, Leon. I, 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 yeah, let's call him Leon, because I don't even know. It's, it's like Polish, so... I yeah, it's like a Polish. It. In 1901, the anarchist Leon assassinated the 25th, 25th president of the United States, William McKinley. Right, um, so yeah. an anarchist is the one who assassinated, which I, and do, I'm going to tell listeners straight up. I did not know he was the 25th president. I had to look that up. <laughs> right, just, yeah. I was like, I'm glad you did. Yeah, I'm not, I was like, I'm not flexing for any way. I'm just like, Oh, what president was he? Okay. 25th. Um, which, 
But this is interesting because after that assassination in 1901, two years later in 1903, Congress passed a law banning any foreign anarchists from entering the U.S. and also called for the deportation of any foreign anarchists currently in the U.S. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. Yeah, I'm glad that's not uh, current <laughs> because I'm sure a lot of people would be deported. Um, yeah, because, uh, you know, we'll get into it, but somebody like Emma Goldman yeah. was also uh, deported um, at one point yeah. in her life. So. Yeah, please continue. Yeah. By the 1920s, the anarchist movement was on the downward, even even more so when two immigrant anarchists, Nicola Sacco and oh, Bartol Bartolmio Bartolmio Vanzetti. We'll just call them Sacco and Vanzetti. So when Sacco and Vanzetti were go. convicted of killing killing a payroll clerk and a guard during a robbery in Massachusetts and apparent retaliation, someone set off a bomb near the New York's wall street financial district, killing 30 people um, because they were mad that they were arrested because, uh, dis- because it had a lot of international <laughs> I'd, I'd outcry that, that raised a lot of questions about their guilt, but ultimately they were executed in 1927. Ooh, nice. Yeah. You know, Anarchism had s- oh, before, be- before you continue here, I find this is really interesting that like so much of these um, uh, sort of violent acts from anarchists are happening over in the East Coast in the uh, tw- you know twentieth century, when like the entire Wild West in the nineteenth century was complete anarchy, and uh, it, it yeah. feels like that it feels like that's getting glazed over here. Uh, and I, I just I just find that interesting that most of the violent right. stuff was happening over in the East Coast in the 20th century. So, yeah. So um, as we've mentioned kind of earlier, anarchism had some success in Spain during the 1920s. But sadly, mm-hmm. anarchists were on the losing side of the Spanish Civil War when General Francisco Franco's Fran, uh, Francisco Franco's fascist regime regime took took control however though but it did say in the article that spain at the time had over hundreds of diff- hundreds of different communities following an anarchical structure um before oh, sure. everything kind of went down and turned bad so there's there's huge parts of spain and you know it, it, we're even going to talk about this this uh later because there's a lot of controversy or, or at least anti people that don't believe in anarchism or that use arguments to talk talks about uh uh oh what am i talking about what now i don't now i don't remember what the name of the country is that doesn't have uh somalia oh yeah uh so because somalia even i believe correct me if i'm wrong to this day there's no real there's no real central government in somalia yeah yeah somalia yeah i somalia, believe so somalia is an interesting case study yeah Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but, however, though anarchism didn't really pick back up until the 1960s during the hippie movement uh, across America with the Vietnam War and everything else. So, yeah. basically, they because if you everybody remembers the hippie movement, their biggest proponents is they resisted government authority and they uh, they embraced the more communal lifestyle. Right. Um, the so damn a lot of times, I know. So what's funny is like they're makes the Marxist Dan comedies, but even here he said that a lot of you know kind of anarchism influence you can see in the hippie movement yeah um and then soon followed the infamous book in 1971 titled the anarchist cookbook which even gave recipes of how to make weapons and explosives yeah i, I think i learned about however that book in history class in high school right however the author william powell later renounced violence as a means of action and had asked for his book to be taken out of print huh. that's funny yeah so kind of change the part Towards the end of the 20th century, anarchism began to rise again. The emergence of the internet provided a futile breeding ground for new converts. The rapid growth of... 
Yeah, the the rapid growth of multi, multinational co- corporations and economic globalization fostered by free trade agreements prompted a growing backlash by many believing ordinary people were getting the short end of the deal. In 1999, anarchists took the streets to dispute the World Trade Organization, becoming what is known today as the Battle of Seattle. The Hmm. image of the police officer in rioting gear shooting tear gas at hordes of Black Klan protesters shock the world. Yeah. Um, So, you know, for some reason, I don't know if I can quite remember that photo, but like I have like envision remembering seeing that photo. Like of the tear gas and all yeah, the protesters. Like that, that, I have like a brief memory. See, that's tough because I was living in a very small town at the time, and so like local, or I shouldn't even say local, but like world or news and international news didn't really come to us. Like I mean, we all was concerned about Y two K, right? <laughs> at that moment, right, I, right. I wasn't concerned about anarchists. So that's interesting because I I have no memory of that, and um, mm-hmm. that's so crazy. Said, that's, so that's even, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, even moving in today, even even pa- even modern history movements uh, such as Occupy Wall Street have anarcho roots. Yeah, you know, in the sense of you know, of course, again, the, remember that the abuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the theme that I'm kind of seeing here with when anarchism is really just is understanding that they can kind of see that there there's an abuse of the labor force. You know, yeah. and, and what is is what is happening here? This this idea of production and how massive it is, but. He kind of goes into the last little thing he says here is he says those who oppose anarchism believe it to be a dreamy utopian version that isn't really possible. Examples are within what happened with Somalia in 1991, where the diminish the, the diminishment of the government left a void filled by violent warlords, religious extremists and even pirates for many, many years. Essentially, humans also need a sense of authority and structure to live in peace is is what the counter argument is. But, yeah. however, he he does have a uh, a quote here written, uh, the l- last part of this article, is he has a quote written from a man named Peter T. Uh, Lesson, who is the professor for the study of capitalism at George Mason, Univer- George Mason University. And he says, contrary to, to conventional wisdom, it is not, it is simply not true that any government is superior to no government. If state um, perdition goes unchecked, government may not only fail to add social welfare, but can actually reduce welfare below its level under statelessness. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, considering how I feel about government. Um, right. You know, and and government's purpose. Um, but I, I suppose I don't know. I I mean, I, I want to see. I want to check in with you. No, here that was and, and uh, no, we... no. That was that was a that was. Sorry, I, I guess I wasn't clear. That yeah. was uh, that was the pro. So that was the counter argument to you know, humans in a sense of authority and structure through government. Sure. Yeah. No, I know. And and yeah, I yeah. think what's what's interesting here says that it is simply not true that any government is always superior to no government. It's tape. It's if state predation goes unchecked, government might not only fail to add such social welfare, but actually reduce welfare below its un uh, under statelessness. And yeah, essentially yeah, saying it, that that a government in its own right could have the potential a uh, potentiality to make people poorer than what they yeah. would be like what, if there was no state. What what I think is interesting here is is what people classify as welfare, right? Because that's I fair think, enough. But I think, I think maybe it's gen- maybe I mean, it is more of a general statement if if that's what you're getting at. That's but, what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, cuz like, like obviously 
obviously there are a lot of wealthy individuals in the u.s and one can make yeah. an argument yeah. about like a structured government and capitalism that it would actually lead to wealth which is a huge reason why people promote capitalism so i can see what you say and if you average take about what life was like and considered a aka wealth maybe in the sense of convenience and what you know what the new standards of what poor might be so i'm sympathetic to all those i just think he means like i i interpreted that as kind of like generically like on the curve like on average yeah. You know, more Americans live paycheck to paycheck yeah, I mean, know, I, than, I, than we've had before. I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I just think that welfare, yeah, it, it's tricky. It's tricky when it comes to actually, like, meaningful, like, a meaningful human life, right? You know, because you could, one might argue that governments actually provide a, a, a lot of welfare p- to people as far as, you know, like, what is it, unemployment and other welfare benefits that people can just live on and and subsist on for years and years without actually having to do a lot of work and whether or not you're happy is is one thing but i think what's interesting is that the difference between welfare and 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 well-being i think it needs to be highlighted here so i i I guess i'll i guess i'll ask you so like i mean where should we go well i got one i got here i got i got like two last little things here so um this is not so I, I, I ended up reading that article that he quotes. Okay, so, great. By Peter okay. Lawson. Um, yeah. So there's a couple things that he says that I thought was interesting. He says, a you know, there's a small portion of, of anarchists that call themselves anarcho-capitalists. And yeah. they reject the idea that anarchy is chaos. You know, they reject that kind of idea of wisdom. And in the 20th century, the most notable of these thinkers has been uh, Murray Roth. Uh, a Rothbard who grounded his defense in anarchy in the natural rights theory. Yeah. And this is kind of what you mentioned earlier. So this is what he says. So I thought this was interesting. He said, most of the world for most of its history has existed without effective governments as note, as noted economy, uh, economic or as noted economic historian, Joel Moiker, Moiker, Moiker. Yeah. As Joel Moiker points out in England, for example, there was not even a professional police force to protect private property until the 19th century. Yeah. And so the using that argument, like you said before, and I know that we're going to get to this article that you have down below, but you know, he kind of brings up similar points. You know, this this idea of, you know, what does it really mean to not have a government? And are we are we too trained? Now, I will say that I really want to get into that article next, because a lot of what I have to say, he definitely did. He made me think the most that article did about oh, sure. the, the, the way that I yeah. kind of combat. The, I guess he really does a good job at handling the whole like that's not realistic argument. Oh, yeah. For you know, sure. and I think that yeah. he puts things in perspective in that in that way. So if, if anything, I think that that the whole what do, anarchism, what does it really stand for? That's what should we talk about? Because there's a lot of I have some quotes from that piece. And there's a lot of juicy stuff in there that I think that you and I could not only expand on in a broader conversation, but yeah. it's it's stuff that I think our listeners really should hear. Yeah, definitely. And and I'll I'll definitely want to get out to that. I think we should probably take a break first before we jump into that. But before we do, I wanted okay. I wanted to break down some of the schools of thought within in, within anarchism. So that way we have a sort of a clear field, right? That, that, so that way that's right. Whenever yes. whenever a certain idea pops up, we we sort of have an understanding of where that's coming from, right? So the, there sure. are sort of there are three historical schools. Where anarchism props up, there's uh, classical anarchism, post-classical anarchism, excuse me, and contemporary anarchism. So, excuse me, so within classical anarchism, we have mutualism, which you mentioned earlier. And so that's mainly concerned Mm -hmm. with reciprocity, 
free association, voluntary contract, federation and credit and credit and currency reform. So many mutualists actually believe that a market without government intervention drives down p- prices down to labor costs, right? So that eliminates profit, rent, and interest according to labor theory of value. And then firms would be forced to compete over workers just as workers compete over firms, which would raise wages. Then the other uh, thing we have here in classical anarchism is anarcho-communism, right? So you mentioned this before, and that's sort of part of that yeah. social anarchism that you mentioned. And yes. it's a theory which advocates the abolition of the state, right? And then it also uh, uh, advocates the abolition of markets, money, private property, which is actually kind of like what's actually kind of you can you can almost because it, you know, but the Communist Manifesto and Karl Marx, true communism is actually not supposed to have a state, You're right? So it's like you can almost argue in itself that true communism in itself has anarcho roots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, communism. Yeah, I mean, it's we've never really done a proper uh, deep dive into communism or socialism, but like communism and socialism, for example, are very are very interlinked. However, socialism socialism is very much uh, propping up the state, where communism is a bo- abolition of the state, right? And so, right, uh, right. Go- and then also, yeah, and also too, not to be confused with anything else, it, it's just more of more of the concept of communism does also deal with this idea of, of like shared space. There's no, there's no concept of, of, of private property or anything else like that, which other instances are and other things of, of anarcho capitalism have those institute or those. Beliefs. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and it's similarly too. I mean, anarcho communists would want to get rid of capitalism altogether. Right. And, and they would have more, yes. you know, more in favor of common ownership over the means of protection. Right. And then uh, similarly to what we've talked about before, they also want to dem- direct democracy and then a horiz- uh, horizontal network of voluntary associations or worker councils with production and consumption based on the guiding principle. And this is important from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Right. And then the last thing in the classical anarchism, we have individualist anarchism, which is uh, one of my personal favorites. So <laughs> it's a set of several traditions of thought within the anarchist movement that emphasize the individual and their will over any kinds of external determinants such as groups, societies, traditions, and ideological systems. So we'll be coming back to this. So, well, no, because I yeah. also said I also said that too, just in a different thing. He he labeled that libertarian anarchism. Yes, but it's the yeah. same. This would, essentially the same. Definition. Yeah, this would definitely be falling under that uh, for sure. And then we have post classical anarchism. So you have a few things here which are which are very interesting. So you, one of the first things here we have is insurrectionary anarchism, which is a revolutionary theory, right? So they very much want to push revolution as their guiding idea here so like it's a practice and tendency within the anarchist movement which emphasizes the theme of insurrection within anarchist practice and then it opposes formal organizations such as labor unions and feder- and federations which are based on political program periodic cron- congresses excuse me so then you- yes there you go interaction anarchy yeah <laughs> yeah exactly then you have something interesting too which is we've <laughs> talked about a little bit before is green anarchism which is the school of thought within anarchism, which puts the emphasis on environmental issues. So we have some of the early influencers, uh, influencers are people like uh, Henry David Thoreau and Leo Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy, excuse me. And then we have anarcho-feminism. Uh-huh. So it's very much uh, sort of 
it's very basically propping up the common ideas found in feminism just without the government involved. You have people like Lucy Parsons, Emma Goldman, who we'll be talking about in a minute, and Volturine uh, de Clary. And then we also have anarcho-pacifism, which I thought this was really interesting. So it's a form of anarchism which completely rejects the use of violence in any form or purpose. And then, you know, one of the things, too, which anarchism, what we've talked about, violence, violence within anarchism has always been controversial. And so one of the prominent figures is Tolstoy. He argued that the anarchism, it must be by nature nonviolent, and it is by definition opposition to the coercion and force that since the state has inherently, the state he views as inherently violent, it means that pacifism is likewise to be anarchistic. And then, believe it or not, his philosophy, Tolstoy's, was very much a giant inspiration to Gandhi. Uh, and who a lot of people know is this sort of famous uh, p- Buddhist pacifist, or I think Buddhist, I, I can't remember. Maybe um, uh, maybe another uh, religious tradition, I can't remember. And then we have just a few more here. So we have the contemporary anarchism, which I find our most interesting, you know, for our sort of current world. So we have uh, <laughs> anarcho-transhumanism, which is the synthesis, the synthesis of anarchism and transhumanism, that are concerned with both social and physical freedom, respectively. And, the, you know, anarcho-transhumanists, they sort of define freedom as the expansion of one's own ability to experience the world around them, which I thought was very general and yet vague. It's, I don't know, like, I, I, I'm not really sure what sort of role a transhumanist and anarchist would have in the world, I'd be very curious to see some of those. See, it's in, funny that you say that because life. It's, it's very funny that you say that because this is one of this is the one of the things that I kind of want to go through because a lot of the solutions for anarchism are vague to me. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of the things that I've read, they are they are arguing, they promote the idea of 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 having this trust that that humans would, the, you know, natural yeah. law theory of like we need to eat. You know, we we have all these. We we need to eat. We need to drink water. We need to have shelter. We need to have food. And if we have all these things that we need to do, and if we're if we're left to our own devices, and you know, we'll we'll follow to this path of 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 what's the most amount of freedom for us. And so this this is kind of where it just kind of loses me. Where I just feel like there's not only are there so many different types, and of course we haven't even covered them all, all the types of of different you know offshoots of anarchism. But like the idea of education, how are you going to teach people? I couldn't really mm-hmm. find anything, you know, on that. And 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 really detailed breakdowns of how a society would operate was difficult for me to find too. It was just more of like, no, you can trust that humans would would get there. Like a lot of it is just like information trusting that. But there was really, you know, there really was no structure or no idea yeah. of of well, no. This is kind of my and, and idea that, of how it would go. That's maybe part of the function of it, right, Josh? Is that Anarchy in its definition is without order, right? And so one of the things that might come along with that is the inherent um, uncertainty that that comes with organizing a society without some type of top-down uh, authoritative message, right? And so I guess there's just a lot, the last things that I'll sure. say here. I'll just sort of uh, uh, glance uh, glaze over these. Yeah, go through is the that rest you, of them. You have things like the post-anarchism yeah. in the contemporary anarchism, which is just it. It just incorporates uh, uh, post-structuralist uh, thought with anarchism, and then you have post-left anarchy, which is uh, I'm not even exactly sure 
you know, I have something written down here, but to be honest, <laughs> it's so vague that I'm, I'm not even sure why it's a thing. And then you have something like queer anarchism, right? Which is, it incorporates the, the issues within the LGBT community and all of those interesting things. I'm sorry. I'm not being disingenuous, you know, but no, no, you, no, no, you, no, yeah. you cover that because look, like I said, like I said earlier, you know, anarchism has been, has been separated and branched by other ideologies yeah. or beliefs. You know, we covered environmentalism, we covered feminism. So it would make sense that like a certain, the certain standpoint of, again, what really, I think what the through line here is, I think it's important to note is that all of these have to deal with like a particular style of freedom for the individual that currently does not have that. You know, that currently doesn't have the, the true system. And so it's like the idea of getting rid of the government, because right now the government is, is particularly for for people within the LGBTQ community or even the trans community or even in all these different things. And even most part, even the green community with the environmentalists, because right now they think that capitalism, they're not really those those all those different things are like, well, if the government didn't exist. Right. They're the ones that are stopping from achieving these goals that we think need to happen. So if you get rid of them, we might be able to achieve those or might be able to live that way. So that through line of, you know, of what the government is not accomplishing, you know, all these things deal with certain aspects of, of things that the government are not accomplishing well or mandating well. So getting rid of them altogether might be a better fix. Because yeah. It's and not I also think that, too, part of the problem here is that there are so many varying degrees of what anarchism means for so many different groups of people, right? That it, in a way it loses sure. some of its bite. It loses some of its strength because anarchism, you know, on its face, right? It's just like, Oh, you know, get rid of the government. And so people can be free, right? That's pretty, that's pretty simple. That's a pretty simple message. Yeah. But then when you start adding in all these other things, it, it starts to muddy the water a little bit. It's like, well, this group wants this thing. They don't want the government involved in that. This group wants this other thing, wants the government out of this. And so it's sort of, to me, it loses, it loses some purity, I think. And I think that's why anarchism has never been truly taken very seriously. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But tell you what, why, why don't, you know, for the sake of our listeners and for my sanity... Uh, mainly so I can get some more alcohol in my system. You know, why don't we take a quick break? Uh, we'll be back, and, and and I think we'll talk okay. about some prominent uh, anarchists, if if that's fair to say, about them, and then maybe we'll have a more open discussion about what anarchism really means and whether or not Josh and I, Josh or I are right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that sounds good. All right, so we'll we'll see you guys back from the break. And welcome back from the break, everybody. Yes, welcome back. There's some anarchism, some chaos. <laughs> yeah, absolute chaos. This is going to be the ongoing joke. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know that my life in exactly is is complete chaos, and and you going back to work, right, is is a little bit of chaos. So it really has know, been. Yeah, we've had. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 true. It's it's trying to adjust, like getting used to having like all this free time to going back to working full time, but having everybody else interact with not doing that yet. It's just it's, yeah. it's definitely been interesting. Chaotic yeah, sure. to say the least. Yeah, so speaking of chaos, um I want to <laughs> take a second uh to thank our listeners for <laughs> I know I never do this, but I want to thank our listeners for sort of sticking with this. I know we've had some new subscribers on our website, and I just think that uh while you could be supporting us on Patreon, even though you aren't, uh, I do think that this is such a weird time that I think 
you know, going in and subscribing to the podcast and listening to our every episodes, because I know there are some of you out there. I know there there are some of you out there who listen to every one of our episodes who um, I really am thankful for because otherwise it feels like we're just screaming into the void. <laughs> I know you're so, not wrong. And I, and I will say this, you know, of course, as with anything else, the goal is to grow. The goal is to try to get more listeners and turn this into something. However, that doesn't mean that the fact that we can put out this content and that there are a you know even if it's just a little few of you that like will 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 be motivated enough to just go in and subscribe you know or to just you know to, to the few of you that because we have an average I, I will say like if we're being honest here we right now like with COVID 19 we've seen dip in our listens but we still have a like a core 30 people like we have a core 30 people <laughs> yeah. that will always oh. Like bear with us and just go yeah. through our shit. All, and for, and all, you for 30, all thirty of you, I love you. You're the OG <laughs> bullshitters, and we love you. Yeah, um, for sure. But so yeah, no, well, you all get a get, shout out. Yeah, yeah. So to kind of get into this here, what I what kind of want to take the second part is you you talk about this free reign because obviously you and I kind of I want to hear our opinions on why we think like maybe anarchism yeah. will not and will not work. And so in order for, I think, for you and I to talk about what we think will work and will not work, I think it's going to fit really well in this article that you had told me to read. So I kind of want you to explain that article and then, like, we'll kind of riff off of that. So, I mean, there's there might be a few anarchists that we're going to reference here, but I mainly want to talk about Emma Goldman. So she she was born uh, the 27th of June in 1869, and she died the 14th of May in 1940. So. She's really important for a lot of reasons, as far as the anarchist movement and feminist movement um, in the early 20th century. So she was an anarchist political activist and writer. So she played a, pri- a, pivotal, a pivotal role. Wow, I can't even talk. There must be all that booze. Uh, role in the <laughs> development of anarchist political philosophy in North America and in Europe in the first half of the 20th century. So during her life, Goldman was lionized as a free-thinking rebel woman by admirers and denounced by detractors as an advocate of politically motivated murder and violent revolution. So she was actually even deported back to Russia uh, at one point in her life um, because she planned to assassinate her and her lover, uh, sort of uh, planned to assassinate a prominent statesman or prolific political figure so her you know, i hope to find love i hope to find love so strong <laughs> that they would agree to an assassination plot with me i feel like I that's know, the epitome that of true love <laughs> <laughs> truly yeah he's willing he's like hey yeah let's go kill somebody um so her writing and lectures spanned a wide variety of issues so it included prisons atheism freedom of speech militarism capitalism of course marriage free love and homosexuality so Although she distanced herself from the f- sort of first wave feminism, which we can always go into in a literary episode, um, and its uh, f- efforts towards women's suffrage, she did develop new ways of incorporating gender politics into anarchism. So obviously she was known as a pronounced feminist. So after decades of obscurity, Goldman gained iconic status in the 1970s by a revival of interest in her life when feminists and anarchist scholars rekindled her popular interest. So for this episode, you know, I, Josh and I, we went back through, I actually own this book, believe it or not, uh, Anarchism and Other Essays, uh, because I might be one. Uh, you know, I went through and read <laughs> one of the, actually the first essay in it after the preface, Anarchism, what it really stands for. Because I think that Goldman here has such a clear description of what she, what she thinks anarchism should be. And there are also some points I think 
one for our disagreements. She's also uh, a, ta- she's each also other. a talented writer. She is very, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's a great writer. And, but not only do I think that you and I, Josh, will have some points of disagreement, but I think there are going to be points where you and I can disagree with her. And I think that's going to be an interesting point of contention here. So I, maybe, um, we can sort of jump off here with your initial thoughts on the essay, anarchism, what it really stands for, and maybe we can go into it and then have a broad discussion about what some of this stuff means. So my thoughts initially are, I, again, this is kind of where my head goes. There's a lot of this that resonates with me as I'm sure Uh you probably knew that it was going to, which is why you kind of wanted to talk about it. Right. What, thing that kind of, let me interrupt you here real quick. One of the first things that I actually noticed in this essay was that she was talking about how the world seems to be shaped by conservative traditions, right? And yeah. in order to shape the future, like progressives are actually the ones who need to step up and sort of change sure. the way you're thinking. Right. Because even in the first, the first, the first quote I have here, which I thought was great, it says, "It in its tenacious hold on tradition, the old." has never hesitated to make use of the foulest and cruelest means to stay advert of the new, and which form or period the latter may have asserted itself. Yeah. So this already, like, just acknowledging the sense of tradition that we have and the way that it, it works to to nullify anything that's new or different. And, I, and again, I think it's a... It, and the way I interpret it modernly is it's almost attack on it's an almost an attack on conservatives. Yeah, yeah, it in is. A way. Like, you know, this this right, and this direct assault and like when you focus so much on tradition, you know, you kind of lose sight and you you cannot help but view anything different as a negative way, which it may not be that case. And so there there's certain things even early on that I'm I'm dead on board with. I think it's just the end conclusion here that I feel like you and I should suss out because you all, you know this, and, and the listeners that have, have gone back to our early episodes will know this. I have this view of this 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 duality of of governance, like this 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 dual style of of belief that can exist at the same time. Now, one could argue that like offshoots like anarcho capitalism or or anarcho motive, all these different types are you know anarcho communism. All these things are like this combined with that. And so the idea of a government and the idea of a capitalist system, I have seen and experienced firsthand what the benefits could be of a, of a system. Mm-hmm. But I can acknowledge the, the, the way that they're easily manipulated and taken yeah, advantage for sure. of. This one links back to human nature. And what cracks me up is like, you know, even in her piece, she's like, you know, people have, have attempted to make claims on human nature that don't have any right to. So I might be one of these people. But if... If socialism, like you have said before, if you think it'll always fail because of human nature, because of the fact that it'll be manipulated to to power and manipulation of others, and capitalism, as I have said and argued for, is doing that now, then what I'm seeing here is that it's the same kind of thought can be implied yeah. in this sort of outcome. You know, and, and this 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 idea of I can look at this idea of anarchism and know that I think that it's true to what they're saying, but it has to be a a balance where the, there there's an aspect of maybe government or um, I guess, or I guess the police or state or whatever you want to say that combined with this sense of, of freedom and no abuse of the labors. So like where I think that we should succeed is that this idea of, of not abusing the, the workforce or the labor force 
can work in tangent and coincide with the sense of government and with the sense of society because as you've learned it doesn't matter what form of governing we may or may not choose it always tends to lead in corruption which you have to deal with the aspects of power and like the idea that power yeah will i mean corrupt that, yeah definitely the idea of power right is 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 an important one but i think you know too one of the i mean i guess we should also begin to like one of the common and we've sort of talked about this before but one of the common objections to anarchism is that it's impractical right and you know one of the things that that Hmm. goldman wants us to understand is that anarchism is this sort of going back to nature right and i know you and i we have some very similar views about human nature uh for example and coming to different conclusions and government i feel like is one of those institutions that is very much I mean, it's trying to control human nature in a lot of ways, right? Where it is trying to mitigate the uh, effects and consequences that humans tend to carry out, right? And so, I actually wanted to to, to bring up one of the uh, bring up a quote here from from the essay, and maybe to sort of, I guess, not jump us off, but at least give some commentary about. So she says, "The new social order rests, of course, on the materialistic basis of life." But while all anarchists agree that the main evil today is an economic one, they maintain that the solution of that evil can be brought about only through the consideration of every phase of life, individual as well as collective. So this is important, I think. The internal as well as the external phases. A thorough pursuit of the history of human development will disclose two elements of in bitter conflict with, one, with each other. Elements that are only now beginning to be understood, not as foreign to each other, but as closely related and truly harmonious, if only placed in proper environment. So the individual and the social instincts. So the, to me, this seems like the very um, the polar opposite, right? Where we have where we have government coming in to be involved, and then we have this sort of opposite end where anarchism comes in, right? So the individual and the society have waged a relentless and bloody battle for ages, each striving for supremacy because each was blind to the value and importance of the other. The individual and social instincts, the one a most important, uh, potent factor for individual endeavor, for growth, aspiration, self-realization, and the other an equally potent factor for mutual helpfulness and social well-being. And so I wanted to, I wanted to talk about human nature for a little bit here because I think that, you know, maybe, I don't know, it, it's, it's tough to figure out where exactly you and I's disagreements uh, c- come in because I think you and I have a very similar take on on human nature and determinism and the nature of free will right so i think that there are so many factors that come into play in determining how we behave you know whether it be in social interactions or psychological or economic i I think there are so many powers that be you know for lack of a better term that are forcing us in particular directions Right. And so I think that maybe somebody like you and and let me know if I'm mischaracterizing your opinion here. Somebody like you might think that the best way to correct for some of these more, uh, I don't know, I'll call destructive human behaviors is for some government. I'll say some, not all government, because I don't think you're full like socialists. Right. Even though I joke about it. I, th- I think there is room, what you're arguing correct. for, for some government to come in and try to correct for certain behaviors, right, that might be deemed as destructive, whatever that means, and for whatever goal, right? And I think maybe maybe that's where our disagreements lie, is the goal, 
I think it is. Uh, look, look for me though. There's there's a few things. So the, so first of all, I, I look my my lot. The lot of the, what I think is, is the, I've never <laughs> had a child myself. Yeah. You have a child, so you might be able to give me some insight on this. But how I was raised, right? There's a punishment structure of in my household. Yeah. I was I was rewarded for things I did yeah. right, and I was punished for things I did wrong. And as as parents do with children, the way that we raise our kids is we teach them that actions have consequences and there's certain consequences that you would have to act to to a higher power, a.k.a. you as the parent. So mm -hmm. there's already a sense of an authoritative yeah. measure going on with just how we're raised. So that's why I think that that part of human nature is 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 important because it's, we're raised that way. We're by the dynamic of the parent and the child. There's yeah. already an authoritative kind of meld or minding there. And so what I think is, but like you said, I don't agree in full government because it can go too far or it can be twisted and be used for different measures. So again, the why I think is like the utopian argument where it's like. Look, I get it. If you took away the the so actually look, there's some quotes I have here that I'm going to bring up that I think really really makes up. So the, the two quotes are back to back is she says religion is the dominance of the human mind, poverty is the dom or, so property is the dominance of the human need, and government is the dominance of human conduct. Represents the stronghold of man's enslavement and all the horrors it entails. Anarchism is the only philosophy which brings to man the consciousness of himself, which maintains the God, the state, and society are non-essential, that their promises are null and void, since they can be fulfilled only through man's subordination. Anarchism is therefore the teacher of unity of life, not merely in nature, but in man. And so this kind of breakdown of of describing of I completely yeah. agree that religion does dominate the human mind and property does dominate the human needs and government does dominate the human content. But we've been living in the society for so long that it's so dominated that we cannot help, but have this, the sense of needing that we hate it, but we sure. also love it. You know what I mean? It's a love hate relationship where we don't want grass is always greener on the other side. You know, I, I want free time, but everybody like everybody complains about free time. A pandemic happens. We all get free time. All of a yeah. sudden we value the work yeah. that we had, you know, and we, we like, you know, so I, I kind of see a lot of that happening. So if you take what we learned through childhood and how we are taught that way, but you also take for this yearning and longing for something that's beyond that. The only conceivable understanding to me is to have a sense of both because that's just what we know and For that's sure. how and I think, we are uh, raised. I actually like the, your angle here on, on parenthood and raising a child because I actually – one of the things that I, I tend to disagree with about anarchy and anarchism rather is that this sort of dis, uh, disillusion of hierarchy, right? I think that I, that hierarchy is actually very natural, right, and it's in, in order to – uh, to place upon our younger generations how we think that the world ought to be is comes very natural to us. Whether or not that's right or wrong is another question, but I think dictating isn't the right word, but trying to trying to push our values onto children and and sort of force them into good behavior is something that comes very natural to us, and that's something that I'm actually I'm I'm very much for. Right, because I think that children's 
only know so much, sure. and they have to be taught about the uh, the sort of intricacies of the world, as I'm, I'm sure a lot of uh, parents and, and listeners will understand, and, and you will understand. And so I think that kind of hierarchy is absolutely uh, uh, reasonable. I think where the problem is, as far as uh, anarchism comes from, is that that kind of hierarchy is should be dismissed when it comes to the kind of dogmatic writing down of this sort of stuff. I think that I think the big problem that anarchists have is, is written law, right, about this sort of order that might be placed on the world, or or the concept of the fact that there are amendments and then all of a sudden people throw a fit that yeah. you're going to change a 400 year old document. You know, it's like. Or plus your old document, so it's like right. Yeah, be the, I, I see because I I've met people, level. Josh, where they hold the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights, which is already like full of amendments, as the most almost in a way holy text in the world, next to the Bible. Right? It's just it's mm-hmm. just below the U.S. Constitution is just below the Bible for them, just below. But other than that, it's the greatest document humans have ever written. And to me, that's the kind of dogma that I think gets people into trouble, right? Because you're just taking that as face value. You're like, mm, nope, there's nothing that could ever be better about that. It's totally perfect. Well, what, like you just said, what about the amendments? Oh, well, you know, I mean, the First Amendment, the, the Second Amendment, I mean, those are important, right? Because we didn't think about that sort of stuff. Yeah. Right there. That instinct... Uh, as far as amendments goes, uh, like, oh shit, we forgot to think about this stuff. Let's amend these, the Constitution real quick and throw in these first 10 Bill of Rights just in case because we didn't think about it. That should inform you. Or not only that, though, but like the intention of an amendment is to realize that, like, with through, when you move through time, <laughs> things change, yeah. situations change, technology changes the world, and you can, there has to be revision and there has to be, you know, there has to be modification. And you cannot just and, and again, this is this is the main problem with religion too. With with a lot of moral thinkers, you know the the problem, or I guess moral thinkers that oppose religion, is the problem is, is that when you claim it's divine, there's no real way to change it or edit it or to make it better. You just have to like go on whatever your interpretation might be, which leads to different interpretations, which leads to people that are essentially laying their morals on top yeah. of it instead of instead of taking morals from it you know and and that's where you kind of run into these problems and so like you're right the, the moment that you you make a doctrine sacred and you think that it cannot be changed or altered yeah, you're going to sure. run into some, yeah, and I think, some differences um, you for know, sure i don't know if we could if we could harp on this a little bit longer but you know about human nature i think there are some interesting things going on here that i that i am sympathetic to with, with anarchism such that I feel that a orderly dogmatic and written law style government, what I, what I find so interesting about anarchism is that it opposes those things because of its willingness to go because of, because of its um, institutionalized uh, anti human nature. And so actually I want to I want to talk to you about this a little bit here because I okay. think that while you and I agree that human nature is very much a determined uh perspective if 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 I can if I can say that about human nature I think that you might have a bit of a pessimistic view of human nature because I th- yeah because I think that 
I do. For you, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, that there are aspects about human nature that are destructive. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe you could help flesh that out a little bit for me and why you think some parts of human nature are destructive and why they're sure. bad for society. My, my kind of thoughts here on human nature. I, I, I okay. So again, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a standpoint of biological luck and the fact that we cannot control the, so th- th- I think there's three main things that make up human nature and, and I, how I'm defining nature is an individual's like sure. goals, beliefs, desires, passions, drives, and, and what we, what we're motivated to do and how we act and why we choose to do what we do. And I think, again, as we've learned, there's, there's three proponents. There's the environment that you're raised in, there's genetics that you inherit, and then there's your personal experience. There's the experience that uh-huh. you go through that helps shape your morals and beliefs. So we're all going to have different contexts and experience. We might be born into a rich family. We might be born into a poor family. I might be born into a family like that's riddled with addiction. I might be born into a family that is like has a success appetite where you have to, you know, workaholic that's that that, that's their means of success so we all kind of learn and again everything like it's hard when you generalize because there's curves to everything there are people on the spectrum that will have the exact opposite life and be the person who follows a life that normally somebody else you know there's always those exceptions to the rule but overall we have been in this kind of like liberal capitalistic society for so long that my fear in human nature is we've been twisted to believe that individualism is equal to selfishness. We equate the two things as, 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 as equal. We learn that like, Oh, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstrap. So if you're not doing that, you got to do that. There's no acknowledgement of other external factors that might be affecting your progression to success. We don't acknowledge any of that. We just acknowledge the person and they're held accountable for their own standards and their own sets of, of moving forward. And when you do that, Right. It, it lets me know that it is it becomes morally acceptable to do what is right for me and only me. And when you follow that realm of thinking, that's where greed and selfishness and all these different terrible things that, that have happened, I believe, are stemmed from. And the government and things like that in their theoretical true form. Right. If you think that anarchism is this kind of theoretical way of like, if we didn't have a government, let's see how we would form. Right. There's so many principles of that I can understand. But so therefore, you should be able to get what I'm saying, where if you can if you can theoreticalize a place without a government, then you can equally theorize a government that that didn't have that worried more about compassion than selfish nature. And if we were able to reconvince ourselves that this idea of of selfishness is not linked with with liberalism then we could break apart and we can intend if we're looking out for each other, if I'm looking out for you and you're looking out for me and we all do that together collectively as individuals, then there could be a sense of peace and a sense of understanding and self-fulfillment and whatever form or fashion that you take that to be. And so I just am pessimistic by the sense of due to that connection of selfishness and liberalism, that when you claim to give people all freedom, that the idea of like John Stuart Mills and the harm principle, where it's like your freedom to swing your fist ends up my nose. Those principles cannot be mandated, nor can they be controlled because there's no real way. It's going to be a struggle of if I'm, if I feel like I'm powerful again, kind of like Darwin's survival of, of the fittest, where if I can beat you and I'm the strongest, 
like then I can hold true. And then how can that not lead to an eventual tyrannical? Yeah. Layout? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely see your, I word vomited right there. You know what I mean? So <laughs> no, I hope okay. that you, no, 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 I, I followed. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely see your worry, right. Of, of like tyranny, right. Possibly coming in, I guess, uh, you know, one of the things that I'll, that I'll push back on, which mm-hmm. I'm also going to push back on the, uh, some of the notions of anarchism, right. Where I see that as this, form of idealism that you can control human nature is okay my okay my biggest question right is like what is your view of the ultimate goal of humanity right like do you think that ultimately we can control you know whatever it is it, it could be through government it could be some other form of scientific technology that we could get to a point where human nature is on a track to become this point where we all have this sort of cohesiveness and compassion is is very much uh, at the forefront of our minds. To me, okay, I'm going to be honest. That sounds boring as shit <laughs> because it's just it's just like I mean that to me sounds sure. like the end of history. Now, similarly, with anarchism, anarchism sort of pops up with this like, well, if only we could get rid of the state and the government and private property and religion, then oh god, we we'd be free to do whatever we want. It'd be fucking perfect. I don't buy that shit either. You know, one of the th- one of the reasons, and here I promise I do this. One of the reasons why Friedrich Nietzsche uh, criticized the anarchists is because he thought that they viewed uh, their way of getting to that sort of perfect world as this other form of utopia, and in in, in a way, it was also sort of anti. Uh, anti-life it was life denying because it was this sort of form of idealism that led to this perfection that actually denied a lot what was going on with with uh, human nature and so i think that what i'm what i find troubling not necessarily about your view but about people who share your view which i've seen very much coming from the democratic party who think that we can sort of get to this world where human nature is just curtailed right because there are so many problems with it there's destructiveness with it and i i guess where i am sympathetic with anarchism is that there are are values and traditions right that have been that have been part of the old world right that we talked about this before where anarchism is very much has a sort of revolutionary spirit to it where i think that again this is something that nietzsche argued that somebody like the ubermensch for example it's not a, let's just be clear, this is not a physiological evolution, it's more of a spiritual and psychological evolution of humanity. It's somebody who can create new values, right, and sort of transcend a lot of the uh, old ways of thinking and sort of get out of this, you know, utopian, and I'm not necessarily saying that you're a utopian, but get out of this utopian way of thinking. I, I am just curious, like, where you think humanity should end up without... Without humanity ending, if you if you understand where I'm coming from, right? No, I do. Look, the first clarification is I'm not a I'm not a utilitarian. I'm a humanist. Okay, there's a difference between the two. Okay, sure, yeah, of course. It may yeah. not seem so. They might seem interconnected, but a humanist. Okay, so utilitarian is, is like you are trying to provide the most amount yeah, for the of most good, amount of people right, for right. all people. No, humanist. It, yeah, humanism is more about the individual and and making sure that there is a protection and there, there's 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 an understanding of that each person as individuals are equally yeah. as important as another individual. And I don't like the term control because I don't really feel that I don't think that control is the right way to look at it. I view it more as, as an acknowledgement. 
an acknowledgement of like education. Cause again, I don't believe in free will, but I do believe in free won't. I do believe in learning our impulses and education can teach us to understand like suffering and pain and how that can be interconnected through, through comparing our experiences to lead us to understand the power of that and how it can want us to know what we can do for fulfill. And again, <laughs> as the thespian in the room here, the, the one thing that acting has taught me is that I have to take fake people on a page and make them seem real. And what do you do to do that? You understand that you have to take their, their goals, their obstacles, their motivations, and what drives them to, to do what they want to do. And so when you're trying to create, so for example, the reason why I think I have a weird relationship with human nature is that I'll play characters that are sure. outside of my own nature, but they're still human. So I have to justify them in a different way to make them believable. And the guidance that I see is that having some sort of, you know, whatever you want to call it, like government or police, you know, in a certain extent, reminds us back, like, how we learn. Again, I'm, I'm going to make my link back to childhood here, is that there is a sense of learning that mm. actions have consequences, right? And I don't think that it should be for control. It should be a, a simple me mechanism of... If you do an action, right, there's certain actions that have consequences and learning those consequences and comparing them to the actions taken can help the idea of free won't and establishing of impulses that I should choose other other impulses. I believe human nature is equally selfish as well as compassionate. We love community, but we also love self-resilience. So because we enjoy both of those aspects, we can easily be tricked or to be convinced to move too far into one direction or the other. We can either go way, way, way too far community, which is why I believe that I'm not a communist because I don't think communism is going to work because that's too far in the community aspect. But also I'm not a libertarian. I'm not an anarchist because I don't believe you can go too far in leaving people to themselves. So again, it's the Goldilocks thing. If one porridge is too hot and one porridge is too cold, then there obviously has to be the right porridge. And so this idea of dealing with both of those aspects and acknowledging that there might be consequences to teach people to learn their wants, to focus on education, that could be something that could be accomplished. And this idea, I really agree. The one, of, the one main part about an anarchism that I really, really identify with is, is, is the protection of the abuse of labor for of the course. workers, the extortion of, <laughs> of economic value yeah. towards right. the worker. And so like, but I believe that there's certain measures or places, there's incentives that can be put in place to stop that because that is what we're doing. I just, again, my pessimistic view here is that we have been taught for so long that like we have to get for us what we need to do for us. And it's our fault if we don't do that. So it promotes selfishness. It, it promotes this way of, of forgoing compassion and not realizing that you can equally be selfish and compassionate. And we have to learn that I think traffic is the best way or cars, the best way, because we're individuals moving collectively and we have a goal as an individual in a vehicle to get to where we're going to do what we do. But if we completely do not work collectively, then it's just it's it's car wrecks. It's thing. And you look at that. You see people who decide to make choices like that do not pay attention to the collective driving of the world. And that's where people die from accidents as those people that have made a choice. You know, of course, like you said, there's accidents for just pure happenstance of, of chance of like, you know, not doing one thing or another. I don't believe it's all malicious, but a lot of the accidents are from the malicious person of the driver who believes that their individual choice is better than the collective around them, 
which leads to default. So I just think that when I view the system, I just think of driving a lot as my metaphor of like, we have to think collectively, even yeah, see, though we're I, individuals. Yeah. See, I like, um, I like the parenting metaphor that you brought up a lot, uh, where it comes to, you know, raising our children and pushing them sort of in the right direction. You know, I, I, I think while, you, which is funny because I actually haven't, I haven't read it yet. Uh, I'm guilty as charged is that in the calling of the American mind, you know, there's this sort of idea that, uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, you mean the book that I've read and you haven't? It, typically, or two, I'm, I'm aware of, of the ideas here. So, the 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 general... I know, I know you are. Yeah, the I, you're story. the one that told me about uh, the book. The idea is that children are pretty, like, are smart, right? And that we can sort of, you know, they're anti-fragile, and we can sort of push them we can push them in a direction without without actually giving them that much guidance right like they can sort of figure things out on their own maybe here and there we help them out you know if they're if they're struggling or or they just need a little bit of a hand up here and there but for the most part like it's one of those things where we ought to let children just figure it out for themselves now i hate to equate uh most of human society as children uh, sometimes i feel like most people are childish but yeah I mean, these day, these yeah. this day and age, like you know, you I, I always would agree with you. Like, I also hate to compare that, but in this day and age, it's uh, it's harder and harder. Yeah, for sure. To not and I, but I think what's important here <laughs> with if, if, with this analogy is that people. I think the the reason why anarchism is so appealing to somebody like me is that people, adults, for the most part, will probably figure it out without somebody having to tell them what to do. You know, like. For the most part, we all understand, like, how to navigate social interactions. We all know, like, oh, shit, like, this guy, oh, fuck, I, I didn't mean to cut in line this guy at the grocery store. Fuck, I'll, I'll back off for, you know, for a second. Like, for the most part, we all know how to be polite to one another. You know, we all know how to interact with each other and, and, and each other's kids, for example. I just think that the reason why anarchism has such a strong message is that when it comes to government, for example, or, or other social institutions who say like, oh no, it should be this way or it should be that way, it sort of takes away the responsibility of other adults. And I think I think that's why that sort of thing resonates with me. But this kind of go this this is where no, this is where we're gonna get into it because this pushback what I have to push back on this as you know, as a determinist, you know, we can disagree on what that actually means, but I agree that on a certain level you and I are both determinists. How does that idealism that you just proposed fit in to determinism how does it fit into biological luck and what we're raised in the neurological connections of environment and genetics like how does that all play into the fact that some people should get the short end of the stick and they're mentally not in a place to be able to have that level of freedom you know are you saying that they should just be by is it, are you saying it's more of like darwinistic and the sense of like survival of the fittest and if they're not meant to be that way then they'd phase and then periodically they would go like is that is that the end goal here they it's well, just said I mean, but not directly you know because yeah. i feel like that's what's I alluded mean, I, I, that's what's alluded I essentially cannot, it's alluded that like to those that again as a humanist <laughs> yeah, i mean of course i have a would. problem with it. i mean i i can understand like where you're coming from here like yeah i i, I mean i don't want to say necessarily fully that i'm a social darwinist although i probably am um i <laughs> i i think that <laughs> Here's the thing, you know, maybe maybe we could talk about my relationship with suff human suffering and risk, right? Where I think that similar to, okay, let me just say, fundamentally, 
if 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 nobody has figured this out yet, I'm an I'm a Nietzschean, where I think that suffering is an important <laughs> aspect of life, and and I know you're sort of on board with that. Uh, I think you're more on the lines where. What do you mean? I'm yeah. I'm actually yeah. like. I'm I think I mean well you you think there's some sort of mysterious unnecessary versus necessary suffering I think all suffering is necessary but um I do I, yeah but okay, I, but well, I then, think yeah, then, for yeah, sure we, I think I think the differ. suffering really it strengthens not just individuals but it strengthens society and the species because is what it does if this is going to sound it's going to sound bad listeners please bear with me here that suffering weeds out the weak <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So you say that because that no no because that that's that, no yeah. that's no this is our main difference because when you make that claim innately to this I'm glad you brought this up because when you make that claim innately that that suffering you know there's no such thing as unnecessary suffering or that suffering innately is is you know leads us to good because it weeds out yeah. the weak. that's where we defer because my my problem with with certain types of suffering is that there are some people that suffer that just by chance mm-hmm. of the way that they were raised or what had going on, like what has happened to go on, that they're suffering and they're not able like, because there are certain people that are not able to learn or gain yeah. the lessons from suffering yeah. that should be gained. So my idea of unnecessary suffering is essentially just acknowledging of, of, of trying to learn how to properly and I, I digest your own suffering into why it's meaningful, you know, and, and there are some people that cannot, they just can't yeah. make that, that causal link or that, that connection of, of how suffering can be necessary in certain aspects. And I just think that, so innately what we're just trying to discuss here is you, you kind of believe that those people should be weeded out. I'm going to get you. Yeah. To well, I think, I, I think uh, yeah yeah I mean that's what I'm trying right, I'm I just think, trying to get you to admit it yeah uh, yeah I I think I think um you know the big thing here is if if there's any responsibility that falls back on humanity is that what we owe to the next generation right is that I think you know it doesn't have to be institutional but education as far as you know this is going to be a bit biased but philosophy and understanding how to think about the world is probably the, one of the strongest things that we can do to the Yeah, next but you generation. say that, but at the same Not time, philosophy, though, no, but... I'm, I'm curious though. Like, let me riddle me this: if you believe that, like, if we're focused on the next generation, education is key. Then how are you in this this anarchical freedom for all individual? Everybody does for themselves. Where do you see education? Because what I see in that kind of standpoint is that education is limited to what you deem is what you want to do as your freedom. And there's no concept of right. So the, of trying to understand the bigger picture here to get to the conclusions that you have now come to. If it wasn't for, and argue me this, if it wasn't for what you have learned broadly in a structured environment, you wouldn't have been able to come to these individual conclusions to your overall perspective. Am I not? Am I not wrong? Am I not right on that? No, 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 you're absolutely right. And I think what's interesting here is that this, again, this falls back to like Nietzsche's perspectivism, right? Where truth, for example, uh, you know, about the world is not just within the eye of the beholder. It somewhat is, but it really comes down to a multiple, a, a, 
a, a multiplicity of perspectives around the world and from different individuals and societies and cultures. And I think what's important here is that there's no government or, or, or uh, authoritative institution that can, that can put the responsibility into people's hands about that. That is within individuals. And I think that is what we ought to be doing is that we should, now this is very, again, very Nietzschean, where we should be sort of deconstructing and and destroying sort of the old ways of education, especially for younger generations, and create these new institutions where young people are, I, I hate to say use the word forced, but forced to go out into the world and learn different perspectives from outside of their own in-group. Because I think the most oh, You know what another word for forced is? Controlled? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, I think... I mean, it's sort of the... It's I'm sort just being of the, facetious now, but... No, I know you are. I know you are. But I think what's important to point out is that that sort of control or or coerciveness is this sort of control of the masses or culture that Nietzsche is very much against, by the way, that I should point out, even though I'm a Nietzsche, and I, I think that we should have a better culture of having young people go out into the world and experience different perspectives and learn from various different peoples about the world so they're not just lumped up into just one perspective because I think you would agree that you know you and I for example we grew up in this in this town that is very um out of time right sure. like they like That's a fair it is just assessment. one way of yeah, it is just assessment. one way of working at the world yeah right and so a lot of the people who stay there in that town that we grew up in um the they don't really town. grow yeah. no they don't yeah not at all yeah they don't. They just. They are just stuck in the world. And I think what really benefited people like you and I, for example, is that we got out into the world and we learned and experienced new perspectives, right? Sure. And so I think, if anything, the responsibility comes back to parents. It comes back to the community. They're like, hey, man, like you're not you're not out for this world if you're just going to hang back here and a lot. Yeah, but I I just feel that like this this idea of responsibility is can even be debated because even now, like in this whole liberal. Mind frame, you know, the argument of giving somebody a UBI, for example, if we give everybody a UBI, the argument is, is nobody's going to be motivated to work. Like, and doesn't that fall back to responsibility? Like, doesn't that fall back to a sense of understanding? So if you're telling me that, like, if you're an anarchist and you can tell me that you believe that responsibility is something that could be just somehow established, if there's no formal sense of government, that everybody has yeah. to, like, be on their own, then, then why so maybe- is it? Then why is it not believable that if, if maybe, you maybe were to give could... somebody a UBI, if you give somebody an amount of money, that there wouldn't be that innate a sense of responsibility to make life of what you would want to make it? So that's why, like again, this is why anarchy in my mind supports a lot of what I'm saying. Because when I talk about you know this this idea of of negative freedom or the capability to make choices. Like, I feel that if we were and again, this is what I say, because we're in a consumer based market. So I'm trying to work in the reality that we have. And if we work in the reality that we have and we're 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 saying that freedom is the sense of this this liberal value. Well, if we give people this UBI or something else and give them more freedom within the liberal context, they might innately have the responsibility of themselves to make their lives better. It's kind of anarchical in nature in that sense. It's just a different approach. Do you see why? Like, I feel like it justifies mine just differently. That that's where my mind, go, the my mind goes. 
Sure. You know, maybe maybe I can give you a, uh, a kind of concrete example here. So what, what comes to my mind when it comes to responsibility and anarchism, uh, for example, is dog leash laws. So think about what it means to have leash laws with your dogs, right? Everybody, let's I'm just say, for example, <laughs> that we live in. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I've been thinking about actually about this for the past like three fucking days. So let's say that we live in a world where every dog owner is forced no matter what it, it could be a fucking dog park like anywhere in the fucking world where you are forced to have your dog on a leash right what that does is that it actually doesn't really put any responsibility on the owner to train the dog in anything right because anywhere you where you go outside of the home like you're just gonna have them alone on a leash where you're for the for the most part in complete control of this slave right the slave animal that you've had outside in the world that they don't really know anything now let's think about the opposite of that what if we had zero fucking dog leash laws for a little bit things might be a little crazy right where dogs would be jumping on top of each other there'd be fucking dog shit everywhere where i'd be like okay so, this you're, is a fucking no, mess, so you're taking the right? medical approach of it's it's the, you're taking the medical approach of like hey it's gonna be worse before it gets better like that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. that's essentially exactly. what you're getting at. Exactly. But eventually what people would, I think, be forced to do, not, not by any type of institution, but the fact that dogs are going to be dogs, right? That people are eventually going to have to learn how to train their dogs. They're going to have to learn See, how to communicate commands to them. They're going to have to learn like, okay, like my dog is going to react to this way to other certain dogs. And the thing is, is if people don't do that, then people are going to retaliate, right? Like uh, yeah, a, another a, dog owner that, that who does... A... Hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. A dog owner who does have good control over their dog, who meets somebody who doesn't have control over their dog, all of a sudden there's a conflict there, right? And people don't like conflict. Even though people get into conflict all the time, really, in individual context, people don't like that shit. And so what's going to happen is like, oh, fuck. Like, that got really railed into me about my dog shitting over there or getting up close to his dog. Like, I should have better control over my dog. And I know that sounds simple, simplified, but eventually people are going to have to get used to having the responsibility of control over the dogs or get rid of dogs entirely. I don't think that'll happen. But you see where I'm going here is that eventually because of this sort of, and I hate to use this capitalistic term here, because of the marketplace of people's dog ownerships without any law like it it comes sort of this sort of <laughs> apocalyptic landscape right no where you're just gonna have to I, deal with other people look, reacting i guess for me for me this is this is what i'm hearing you saying we're moving from a central control to an individual control and the, the it's indiv decentralized yeah and and an individual force and so like the again what i so again it's it and maybe I am biased on the environment that I was raised in and the world that I understand. I will acknowledge that. I will acknowledge that I might be one of these people that is stuck in that kind of viewpoint. But here's my theory. There are certain things that I would choose to do rather than other things. So, for example, if I have a dog, right, and I put the, my dog on a leash, right, I might be training, I might be doing But the one person that doesn't have a dog on a leash or doesn't do this, I'm not forced to do one thing or another depending on that person's decision. So if that person brings a dog who's aggressive and decides not to leash it and comes at my dog, then now I am forced to make a decision that I may have not have wanted to make. I may have not have wanted to deal with. And I'm constant. And I feel like, how am I not constantly dealing with that? If I'm in an anarchical society and everybody has the right to do whatever, I'm constantly forced into whatever law that the person of choice that I'm, I'm whirling with is deciding to make. And so to me, but Josh, 
No, doesn't to that me, fall back into? Go ahead. Let me finish. To me, yeah, the idea of a structure of morally agreed upon conduct that could be regulated to a st- extent of not abuse. This is where I'm. This is where people misguide because I believe that it's being abused and it should not be abused. And maybe that, and that's why I'm cynical. I'm cynical on human nature because human nature is failing us, even in the way that we could be living in a better place that we are now with the system that we have. We can't even do that. And so, this idea of if I went to the dog park and we both and we both know that if your dog is vicious and you do not have it on a leash, like something, you know, you there's repercussions to that. Then this person who thinks, you know what, fuck it, I'm, I'm it's my freedom to bring my aggressive dog here. Whatever. My consequences are only to whoever decides to oppose me. How can it not, by default, become in a position of power? How can it not be individuals constantly at battle of power over each other? And I don't agree. Maybe this is where I, I find like myself like maybe flying because I think you're right. Giving that power to the police state, as we've learned you know, with what's going on, that the police... They're just human beings that are trying to uphold this thing, which also, like, again, turn to their own selfish natures and ends up becoming the struggle. So maybe, I guess, if your argument is it's going to... Killing black folks. Exactly. No, 100%. Like, the thing that just, you know, the the whole news story that just happened, you know, with I Need Air, that just atrocious. But the thing is, is that, like, I can understand a theory of it's going to happen anyway. By default, you can actually consider that it happens anyway. So why not have a society that just lives that way instead of attempting something different? That's the only kind of way of justifying it that I would be like, okay, I'm sympathetic to that. Yeah. I just think that, you know, a lot of the things that you were, you were opposing back there, and I know we're probably getting close to wrapping up here, but a lot of things of what you're opposing there is about, it's almost coming into disagreement of your own views of human nature in this, in the sense that you were at the whims of determinism, right? So for example, if somebody goes to the dog park and they have this abusive dog, you know, it's you and all the other folks who have responsible dogs, (laughs) sorry, like you were responsible for your dogs and trained and well-trained dogs to sort of leap at this person who has their dog completely untrained and jumping on others. Right? Like, Hey dude, Fix your fucking shit. Fix your, like, get a hold of your fucking dog. Get better, you know, have better responsibility, basically. Like, to me, that seems like, as much as that seems like sort of the tyranny of the masses, <laughs> to sort of recall our previous episode. Fair enough. In a, in a way, in, in a way that, to me, seems, it's almost the most pure, right? Because you don't have any other mediator, right? You, like, think about it for a moment. Like, that, okay, let's say this guy is breaking the rules that everybody has agreed upon, Right? Why is it that you have to call upon some other third party authority, right, to deal with this person? Why? That's okay. That's, I guess, my biggest sympathy here, right, with anarchism is like, why can't just the adults in the room deal with the problem? Yeah, because again, because again, you look at this monarchies, you look at this with their structures. Some people, again, with the deterministic mind frame of like biological luck. Some people like, you know, back in the Middle Ages, you know, Donald Glover has a joke that I think is funny where he, he talks about like, we're actually further along than we give credit for. We talk a lot of shit about modern society. However, you look back and just, just 200 years ago, you know, you're like, Oh my God, my village was raided. My people were murdered. The women and you know, the women were taken, you know, the, the, the women were raped. The children were taken, but it was nighttime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's the, <laughs> that's that the joke, joke he makes. Yeah. 
Right, but th- this, that that's the sense that I see here. What I see is that like because of a, a, a because of the liberal influence that we've had for so long. Uh-huh. Yeah. That like this idea of private property where it went like and so I'm saying that like for me, if I if I acquired land, you know, in a way where like I'd worked hard or I'd gained some money and the fact that somebody can just show up and if they go, I have more power than you, this land is mine and they can prove that, then you no longer have land. Like that's just what it is. And you're telling me that it's up to me as my individual, as my freedom to 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 learn how to fight or to get weapons to get my land back like or whatever I need to do to get my land back I just I just see that innately leading to chaos like and all in all where it's like that's kind of because survive the fittest maybe and then maybe maybe I'm sympathetic to the idea that maybe after a certain amount of time that if it's that way for so long and people learn that way that we might come to a sense of peace if we're established that way so I can get that. But, you know, I know that you're more cautious about time. There's one more thing here that I really want your thoughts on. Please. Yeah, please. So in the in the article that you mentioned from Goldberg, you have – so she talks about – she says that John Burroughs has stated that the experimental study of animals in captivity is absolutely useless. Yeah. Their character, their habits, their appetites undergo a complete transformation when torn from their soil and field and forest. When with human nature caged in a narrow space, whipped daily into mission, how can we speak its potentialities? And that matches up to here when she says crime is a she says, and I quote, crime is not but misdirected energy. So long as every institution of today, economic, political, social and moral conspires to misdirect human energy into wrong channels. So long as most people are out of place doing the things they hate to do, living a life they loathe to live, crime will be inevitable and all laws and the statues can only increase, but will never do away with crime. Yeah. I was fascinated by this point of view. Yeah. First of all, I mean, like, let's just say here that the only reason why criminality or crime exists, right, is because they're a legal system to define what crime is. It's, it's sort of like our, uh, we've had this conversation before, like that murder, for example, definitionally is wrong, right? Because it is within the understanding and the definition of the word murder, right? The fact that a, there is a well, killing. It's the ultimate. Well, when you kill somebody, it's the ultimate takeaway of their, of their life freedom. Well, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, yes, but but murder itself is wrong, deemed by the legal system and by the society who deems it murder because it is unjustified, right? Within that society, right? Because you can have you can have the kill the just killing of an individual based on uh, on personal defense. Well, see, that's or the where that's the, right? again. This is where this is where I think you and I need to kind of break down because I have sort of the Superman philosophy of like any form of killing is innately taking away somebody's freedom. Well, sure. Yeah, that, that is innately. So for me, it's just like, there's, I don't think there's any such thing as a justified killing. You know, I, I like, again, if you're, if, if killed or be killed. Right. So like, I'm not saying that's justified. Like if I'm being hunted upon, you know, and you're in a position where you have to stand for yourself, maybe, maybe I can be sympathetic where like, if you, if somebody is trying to kill you, and they're trying to take away your freedom and you end up taking away, the, taking away them because you are protecting your own, maybe. But on an innate level, killing innately, taking away freedom, I just, there's an, all killing to me, in a sense, is murder. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, from a humanistic standpoint. Yeah, right, right. And and I can understand that. You know, I just think that, first of all, what what Goldman is trying to get out here, right, is that because we have a legal system, that there is going to be crime indefinitely because there are things that are going to be deemed unsavory by either society or the criminal justice system, right, that is going to be determined. See, that's not what I interpreted, though. Well,. See, because this is what I want your opinion on. Okay. So what I got from this is what she, what and this, what she was saying is that the the i the government in itself is its own cage. Yeah. Right. They they control our conduct, and so because the government is a cage, human beings are not going to act as if we were meant naturally supposed to act, because a lot of us have to feel in this capitalist position where we're t- talked about getting up on our bootstraps. We have to work. So for those that are working jobs, like we talked about this too, this idea of, um, uh, what, what, okay, what we brought up in earlier episodes of, um, of mediocrity, yeah. where we need those people to work the fast food lines. Our society, we need those people to work those meaningless jobs yeah. in order for have everything run fluidly. So if we're living collectively and we have to, you know, we take like waste management or you know, lo- like or people that clean up. After human loitering mm-hmm. of just dropping shit off wherever you feel like dropping shit off, there are jobs that just the monotony of life need to be done. And so they are done. But we, she is saying that the government and capitalism, what we're forced to do, we are now forced to, to work in jobs that we don't necessarily want to work in. We're forced to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. And that alone encourages criminal behavior. And I yeah. think that she's arguing that if you got rid of the cage, quote unquote cage, that she's labeled government and we're no longer dictated by our conduct and forced to do things we don't want to do that. We might have less crime. We, there might not like she's trying to justify anarchism in the sense of to, to combat me who thinks that chaos or murder and all these things will happen. There, she is going, no, wait a minute. If you actually made people free, if you actually got rid of a government, you might be surprised by the nature of humans because they're no longer in the quote unquote cage. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of agreement that I come to that, right? Well, first of all, I mean, if you get rid of a government, then you have no law, you no longer have any legal definition of crime, right? That's a technical uh, instance here. But also, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in agreement because, you know, if you think about what's going on with COVID. That's what I picked up on. That's how I interpreted it. You know, if you think about what's what's going on with this COVID-19 shit, you know, obviously there are some people out there, a lot of people, unfortunately, who think that this COVID-19 stuff is a complete conspiracy. Um, I don't understand those people, but there, there's also a decent amount of people who are acting relatively fine. They're understanding social distancing. They know like how to conduct themselves within uh, public outings without really anybody telling them what to do. Like they understand the science of it because there are plenty of smart people out there, right? Who understand like, how viruses work They're like oh shoot like you know sure. maybe i shouldn't go out and you know or how immune systems are exactly. or like you know understand that maybe epidemiologists who studied that their whole life might have an idea of what's going precisely on. I, I, precisely I and so there are plenty of people who understand they're like oh you know what i i know how to behave like i mean granted there there is a tradition of of uh behavioral learning right that we get from our parents and relatives and, and society but there is i think this we are, I guess, so to speak, discounting 
uh, human nature, right? Where we say that like, oh God, like we, we have to control every aspect of people's lives because they're just too stupid. Now, granted, there are a lot of stupid people out there, but there are enough people who I think who just will be able to figure it out. We're adults. You know, there's this great saying, right? Like where, you know, you teach a man to fish. I used to agree with that, but not so much anymore. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm still on the more cynical side, but right. You, you, you know, you teach a man to fish, he'll fish for a day, you know, but there's this also famous, uh, you know, saying from the great Ron Swanson, right. Of parks and recreation is like, you know, just leave the man alone and figure out how to fish. And he's a, he's an adult. Fishing's not that hard. You know, like it's just, People, people figure shit out, man. Like life is harsh, but not that hard. You know, not to throw my cousin under the bus, but I kind of want to bring this up on Mike. So I was telling you, (laughs) hopefully he doesn't listen to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think he does. So he posted this, 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 this thing. Yeah. And essentially it said that verbatim asking people to wear a mask four months into a pandemic is equivalent to asking people to wear a condom at a baby shower. Yeah, I mean... So, it's things like that where people believe... Not only that, though, like... And again, like, I don't know if your brother listens to this podcast, so I hope not. But, like, well, what you brought up with your brother of of just, just, just making this claim, like, Ian's brother made the claim. You know, I'm not even going to bring up the topic. But he essentially, he shared his opinion... And then he made the claim that everybody's innately stupid for not seeing his opinion. Yeah. And that is a common thing that I'm seeing in today's culture where if you, this is where I'm working on my paper. It's an assumption of intent where we no longer need to validate our own arguments. I just need to disprove the integrity of yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. And when we follow that, it's lazy. Okay, first of all, and second of all, what it does is it allows us to just say that if I can just accept within myself that they are wrong because they're coming from a place of either ignorance or they're coming from a place of selfishness, because both sides do this, we justify whatever side they're coming from. We assume the intent of that. And we do that in the sense of being better in our own arguments, then I don't need to no longer create actual arguments for what I believe in. Now, I know now that mine's right because I was able to prove that there was wrong because that person is doing that from ignorance. That person is doing that from stupidity. And we both are saying that both sides are saying you're stupid. So that's the issue that I see. And that's like this whole idea of responsibility and maybe anarchists. We're all going to go back to this thing of like, no, 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 no. My version of anarchy. No, that that's the right one. You're the stupid one. You know, and we're not even going to be able to come to our. And like I said before, how can anarchism even work when there's so many different varieties of it based <laughs> yeah. on what people believe is right? Yeah. So, like, I, I, that's just where I'm at with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe the last thing I'll say here is that you're sort of hitting the nail on the head, Josh, where I think. Um, nothing matters anymore. <laughs> Where, this, oh my God, I'm nihilist. Oh my God, I'm a nihilist. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't even realize. Yeah, I know. I've, I'm sorry that I introduced you to these ideas. Um, I just think that. No, actually, hold on. Before you, before you do that, before yeah. you say the last thing, yeah. I just want to throw this in here. I, so she, off the crime and off the nature thing, I, I really, I wanted to say this quote out loud because I knew that this quote, you must've had a mental orgasm when you heard this quote. <laughs> and she said, and connection sure. to crime and connection to, you know, the cage of government, the most, and I quote here, the most absurd apology for authority and law is that they serve to diminish crime. Aside from the fact that the state itself is the greatest criminal, 
breaking every written and natural law, stealing in the form of taxes, killing in the form of war and capital punishment. It has come to an absolute standstill in coping with crime. It has failed utterly to destroy or even minimize the horrible scorn of its own creation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I did enjoy that. I mean, it's, it's similarly, you know, Nietzsche writes and, and well, taxes, theft. That's what you say all the ta- time. Taxes, like, that's your famous thing. Taxes is most certainly theft. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you all my libertarian listeners. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, what Nietzsche says in, in uh, those, thus spoke Zarathustra, right? That uh, the state is the coldest of all cold monsters. And um, I guess, here, the, you know, with, with that, there is, I feel, you know, like even though that, you know, taxation is theft is a sort of a facetious moniker about libertarianism and anarchism and whatnot. I feel like that what the state does and what government does and, and a lot of hierarchical institutions do is they sort of rob something from from human nature. And, and this is, again, I think this is where our, a lot of our disagreements stem from, is that I view human nature, however destructive, however creative it is. Not a, not ultimately good, but ultimately as real, right? This is sort of my relationship with indifference, right? Where I view that the, you know, okay, for example, I was out at a bar um, in this strange times with my wife earlier uh, this afternoon, this evening, and I you know, we got some food and I was drinking and eating and I, I just happen to eat my food fast. Like I just do that. And my wife, she's like, Jesus Christ. And like, how fast do you eat that? I'm like, I don't know. I'll just eat you fast. She's like, well, do you like being miserable? I'm like, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> and, I, I, and I told her, I'm like, Hey, you know, like one shouldn't just go through life experiencing only positive emotions. You know, the negative, you know, capacities have to come in there as well. And, and I, I sort of believe that that kind of just, the, to me, the the indifference of, of nature and how bad things can get and how good things can get, all that shit is beautiful, man. And even though, like, you might be in pain and suffering, like, you should embrace that shit. And I guess what I'm linking this back to is as far as criminality comes in and government is that, you know, I I think what government tries to do, what's funny, as, as actually, I don't, I don't think government is, is wholly unnatural, right? Because it obviously comes from somewhere, comes from some aspect of human sure. nature, right? To say, to say the government is unnatural. Well, no, you, I mean, you, you, know. you, you legitimately said that hierarchies are in nature, you know, yeah. like you have like, there's the, there's the, you know, if you're, if they're pack animals, for example, there is a leader, there's a pack yeah. leader and there's a, but you know, there is a, a sense of 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 a fight of the strongest right. to, to establish that pack dominance, but you know you're not wrong in saying that like government is maybe not even innately not nature or not natural just due to the fact that there is a sense of hierarchy structures and nature. Yeah, for sure. It's like saying that beaver dams are natural for beavers, right? Like it's an artificial structure, right? That's that has that they've done you know, sort of constructed that wouldn't happen in the natural environment. And yet beavers are making them because they're natural creatures and they're doing things out of instinct. Similarly, human beings construct governments, you know, that it's very natural to do. Right. And I just think, um, right. Uh, that the form of government that we have now, I just think the wrong way about going. So long story short, what I'm getting at here is mean long story long, long story long. (laughs) Yes. Very accurate. Is that, um, what Emma Goldman is getting at here, I think, is that there are ways to go about experiencing the world 
and moving through it in a, in a responsible way that human nature is perfectly capable of doing and that governments and our modern conception of them sometimes stifle human nature for the worst. And I wish that sometimes human possibility, however negative it might be, is just allowed to do what it's going to do. So I guess that's, that's probably the last, that's, that's the last thing I'll say because I know this episode okay. has gone long and, and, um, it has, it has. Okay. So the only, the only last thing I'll say, the last point I want to make is innately where I'm coming from is in the standpoint of economics, this idea of benefit versus cost, right? I've been focusing a lot on that, on that idea lately. And I think that we, by the way that we're raised, we learn early on, we compare and contrast our experiences and we innately on a personal level without anybody telling us, we do this benefit versus cost analysis. You want to know why people smoke cigarettes, right? We know that it's going to give you cancer. Because <laughs> nicotine you know, is addictive. They... <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But the, you know, but that's the problem though. So or they smoke cigarettes or they even alcohol. We drink alcohol, we smoke cigarettes. We often do things that, you know, that would possibly lead to our, our, our quicker demise, which seems to be anti-evolutionary. You know, you want to, I, I guess not really because evolution is about, progression of your genes but if, if, if talking about survival where if we're innately programmed to want to live right doing things that will kill us just seem to be anti wanting to live and so that's why we go okay with we're smokers or drinkers the benefit of stress reduction or like what you know if you're if you're chemically connected to it and you see that we justify that that benefit is beyond the cost of what it might be mm-hmm. and so this idea of understanding that as a determinist where there's biological luck and we cannot control the environment we're raised in, we believing in free won't, if I'm not going to believe in free will and I believe in free won't, then I believe that there could be a benefit versus cost analysis structure to encourage people to actively fight the impulses of certain aspects of human nature that are innately more negative and encourage the impulses of of human nature that are more positive. So the only reason I agree that there should be some sort of structure, but also some sort of freedom is to a, the structure is there to provide people with a sense of learning how to channel their own free won't to pick impulses over other impulses. And the freedom comes involved is once we learn to pick certain impulses or their other impulses, then the freedom is to act upon those impulses that we then focus on as opposed to the ones that we don't want to focus on. And those two things pieced together, I think, is what leads us to our best possible, in my mind, humanistic way of living. That's it. Yeah, That's for it. sure. So, okay, so tell you what, um, why, don't, why, don't we, why don't we end it there um, and we'll finish up with um, just real quickly, we'll go through what do we, I want to end the segment on read, watch, play. Just real quickly, what are we reading? What are we watching? What are we playing? Um, Josh, why don't you go ahead? Okay, I'm reading the same stuff. Nietzsche's biography. I'm also reading that night uh, the the um, uh, the uh, the English style, the old English hierarchy style funny comedy of Mr. Orwell and Jonathan Strange. Right. I'm playing all kinds of things. So again, I'm really into Stranded Deep. That's been kind of fun lately. I also downloaded No Man's Sky. 
So I haven't played oh, shit. it, but wow. I downloaded it. I've, I've, I, so, I got that when it originally came out on PS4. Wow. Yeah, people said it was shitty when it originally came out, so I watched a video Definitely before was. you buy. Apparently, the, the 2019 update made it a playable game. The 2016 drop was awful, so that's why I downloaded it. So hopefully I'm going to be playing that soon. And as far as watching goes, the new season of The Flash dropped. So I've been uh, watching that, and then I've been watching this the Shiva show Van Helsing, uh, which is about a girl um, during uh, Van Helsing times. And I've only watched a few episodes of that. It's still really confusing. I'm not sure what's going on and how it's connected to the Van Helsing lore at all. Uh, but that's just what I'm reading, watching, and doing. Yeah. Um, let's see. As far as what I'm reading, I'm reading Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen uh, from my English class. Uh, it is uh, painfully boring. I'm sorry to say, if any of you English uh, uh, majors uh, like Pride and Prejudice, I'm sorry, I hate it. Well, they like Pride and Prejudice zombies, right? Because somebody made a zombie Pride and Prejudice. Right, yeah, I remember that. I owned it. I owned that for a little while. I also read um, uh, Jorge Luis Borges, who's this Argentinian uh, writer, fiction writer. Um, Amazing, amazing shit. You and I actually should talk about it on the podcast. I read the short story of his called Talon Ukbar, Tortious, Tortious. Uh, Urbis or something like that. I can't remember the name. It's fucking bizarre, uh, but really great. Um, let's see. What am I watching right now? I just watched... I fell asleep to it a little bit of it. I just watched this movie uh, called High Life uh, from the A24 film production company with Robert Pattinson. And it's like he is this... He's on the space station or something where he is a prisoner where he is forced to raise a baby. Um, really interesting. What platform is this on? Uh, it's on all platforms. I rented it on YouTube. It's re- it's really interesting. High life. Uh, it's check it out. Definitely. Um, and then what am I playing right now? I've been playing a little bit with my buddy from Alaska, uh, hunt showdown. What I've talked about before with, uh, with Josh here on the podcast, but I'm also going through the last of us on PS4. I'm, I'm probably, gosh, I'm probably 75% done with it at the moment. Um, at least as far as the main game and it's, uh, it's amazing. I, I, and I can't wait to talk about it on the podcast. I can't wait actually, Josh, to hear your thoughts on it. Um, uh, sure. and, uh, it's God, it's, it's so good. It's, it's emotional. It's, it's dark. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. So yeah, that's what I'm reading, watching and playing. And, um, I mean, I, I think, I think with that, Josh, I mean, we talked for geez, goddamn near two hours tonight. So, um, yep. Yeah, let's get out of here. Yeah, so Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's um let's get out of here and I guess uh we'll see you next time, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Uh everything that guy just says bullshit. Thank you.